Our scripture reading our scripture reading from today comes from the 32nd Psalm. Listen now for the word of the Lord. A Maskell of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in a rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Now let me instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. The word of the Lord. Welcome and good morning. Um, Again, I want to just invite you to stick around after service for our uh, lunch and uh, Lenten uh, FG, time of uh, Bible study together. Um, Also, I want to just give you a heads up. Uh, This year for our Good Friday service, we're going to do something a little bit different here. Uh, We're going to actually have a kind of a a walk through the uh, Stations of the Cross uh, this Friday. Not this Friday, uh, Good Friday. And so please, uh, please come, uh, bring friends and family, and um, I think it'll be a, hopefully it'll be a very uh, powerful experience uh, as we walk the Stations of the Cross, uh, as we think about uh, Good Friday. Um, pray with me, please. God, we thank you again uh, for this day, and uh, now in the um, hearing of your word, um, God, would you... Be present. Um, use these words to strengthen, to challenge, to empower your people. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So um, last week, I mentioned that uh, even though Psalm 6 is the first of the seven penitential psalms, uh, it's not very popular. It doesn't appear in any of the uh, revised common lectionary readings, for example. But today's reading, Psalm 32, which is the second of the seven penitential psalms, 
is very popular. Uh, It's the assigned reading for this Sunday of Lent, but it also appears in three additional Sundays uh, in the Revised Common Lectionary. The psalm begins, as you heard, with a double blessing. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, and blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Blessed is a, it's a broad word, um, and it can mean a number of different things. It can be translated as lucky is the one, to be admired is the one, congratulations to the one, good for the one, happy is the one, how rewarding is the life of one, and so on. It's, it's a very broad word. And in fact, the word blessed here is in the plural, so it's even more overflowing, right? So it's, I don't know how you, blessed, right? Or happies is the one. Uh, it's just this, this overabundance of blessing. And of course, everyone wants to be happy or blessed. There's no shortage of theories or programs on how to achieve uh, blessing and happiness in this world. Um, and I think, you know, we can dismiss many of the suggestions that the world offers um, about how happiness might be gained. But we ought not to dismiss this idea of happiness. Sometimes I know Christians try to make a distinction between what's to be blessed and what's to be happy, but it's not that clear. Uh, Paul uh, Waddle, for example, in his book, Happiness and the Christian Moral Life, says that the entire study of Christian morality is best understood as, quote, training in righteousness. I mean, training in happiness. Right? Training in happiness. That's, that's, the, that's, the, the, that's the life that uh, we're pursuing. That is, we're trying to train in the kinds of attitudes, the kinds of um, passions, the, the kind of habits and disciplines that lead to what we would qualify as a good, happy, or blessed life. And a part of the, uh, the Lenten season, one of the ideas that people think about Lent is that we give up stuff, right? We, we give up chocolates or whatever um, because we recognize that these are things in our lives that we look to for happiness. And we give them up in recognition that these, these, uh, these false pleasures, these false idols of whether potato chips or the false idols of you know, wealth and reputation, whatever these things are, to, to release them, to recognize, to admit that they are not the source of our joy, that they are not the gods of our lives, right? Because they have so much influence, they have so much power over our lives and so Lenten is a season where we can kind of try to release them and to recognize and to admit to ourselves their power over us and to, and to move beyond. And so the psalm here today reminds us that blessedness or happiness, if you like, it's not something that we can achieve, but rather it comes through forgiveness received through confession. That's what happiness or that's what blessedness is. It's a very different way than the world defines it. Blessing, right? Blessing, to be blessed, is forgiveness received through confession. John Calvin says, Blessedness depends on the free favor of God by which he reconciles us to himself. And and that's what the psalmist is getting at here. Now, happies, or blessedness, is the one whose transgression is forgiven, 
whose sin is covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. It's, it's, it's a, these phrases are restating the same idea. To be forgiven, we must first begin with what must be forgiven. And four words are used here in these first two verses. Transgression, sin, iniquity, and deceit to kind of encompass all the different ways that we fail to obey or to love God. Transgression is a word that means to go away or to depart. It's when uh, children willfully disobey their parents, for example. It's the word that is used when someone violates their own conscience. It's the word that is used when a, uh, a nation breaks a treaty with another nation. So it's, it's a word for rebellion. So there is a kind of uh, sin that is rebellion or active rebellion against God. The word sin uh, has the same idea uh, in Greek as in Hebrew, um, and it's this idea of missing the mark. You've heard this before, right? That it's a, it's a term in archery, for example, where you try to hit the bullseye and you miss it. Uh, Judges 26, 2016, there's a story or a brief sentence about these 700 warriors, 700 left-handed warriors who could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. That's the same word, and not sin, right? So they, they could sling these uh, stones at a hair, for, I don't know what the distance is, and they would not sin, that is, they would not miss. So there are, there are aspects of our disobedience that is this kind of miss, that there is a kind of a, uh, a law or a, an aspiration to which we are striving, but we, we just come short. The third word, iniquity, has a sense of being bent, crooked, deformed, twisted, uh, like, like, so maybe perversion is a, is a good word for this. Uh, Im- imagine like a tree that's all like gnarled. That's the sense of iniquity. And lastly, deceit means treachery or unreliable. And sometimes it's used to describe a, a weapon that is defective or doesn't shoot straight or properly. And so these, these cluster of words, this vocabulary, att- attempts to cover sin in all of its many permutations, right? Because sometimes we actively disobey or rebel against God and God's law. Sometimes we, we miss the narrow path and choose instead the wide path. Sometimes we're simply crooked in our dealings. We're not honest. And sometimes we, we are just unreliable or we prove deceitful. And so the Bible says these are all the different ways that we fail to love God and our neighbors. And the word that's typically used is sin, but you can see it's a wide range than the sort of narrow idea of just simply missing the mark. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own separate way. And Paul reminds us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, so we have to begin with this acknowledgement. We have to begin that we are sinners and that we need to confess our sins. That is the only way, it is the only way given to us to happiness. There is no blessing without forgiveness. And forgiveness cannot happen unless there's confession. That is the only roadmap given to us. And um, it's not, you know, sort of the, the big sins that only have to be confessed. I know sometimes um, most of us probably remember a time when we committed some, some, something, some terrible sin or maybe uh, when we got baptized. 
or um, there was a time when we had this sort of big confession, and maybe that's what we think of confession, but there is a confession that needs to happen on a regular basis, on a daily basis, because all of us fail to love God and our neighbors fully every single day. Every single day, we fail in some measure. We sin. And it has to be confessed, to be forgiven. Um, <clears throat> I was just thinking, you know, I mean, just think about any of your, your relationships. And think about the kinds of sin there is between the relationships that you have. Um, there, there's no shortage of examples here. I was just thinking, um, you know, uh, this morning, um, that this week and every week, and my whole life, um, I have sinned against my wife like every day of our marriage. I, I'm pretty confident I can say that. And she, she's smiling in agreement. Um, you know, like, like this Friday, for example, um, I was supposed to take something to uh, Pastor Dohi. And she reminded me throughout the week, she left it by the door so I wouldn't forget. And of course, Friday morning, I forget. So then she has to come and she has to bring it to me so that I can give it to, uh, to Pastor Dohi, right? That, that's a sin. Like, you can call it forgetfulness or whatever, but, but I failed her, right? Now, that, that, that's small. This morning, um, Boaz and Charles invited me for coffee this morning because, you know, they're into coffee. And, you know, as you know, I don't drink good coffee, right? So <laughs> they're, they're trying to educate me. And so I went and had a cup of coffee. And, of course, I'm enjoying my time there. And, again, I failed my wife. She goes, you got to go to church. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. So again, right? Uh, so, I mean, like every day I have to say I'm sorry about something. I do. And, and it's not just with her. It's with most people in my life. I, I'm apologizing constantly for something or another. Um, now, Im- imagine if I never said I was sorry for these like small little breaks in our relationship, right? How, how terrible that would be. How, how that relationship would be strained and just deteriorate. Um, and that's the kind of regular confession we need to make with God, right? How regularly do we have that kind of confession with God? Do we, do we recognize our sins, the things that we fail to do to love others, and the ways that we have not loved others? Can we, can we come before God on a regular basis to do that? You know, this psalm was one of the favorites, uh, supposedly, of St. Augustine, who, you know, incidentally wrote uh, the book, Confessions, right? And he used to say that the beginning of knowledge is to know oneself as a sinner, right? To, to begin with that recognition, that acknowledgement. And, and he supposedly had this psalm written on the, on the wall of his bed so that, uh, especially as he uh, aged, as he would get up, that would be like the first thing that he would see, that he wanted a reminder of his position, Psalm 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And and similarly, the psalm is an invitation for us to confess, to return. And it's a testimony of the psalmist, what he has experienced. Look what he does in the first three words for sin in verses 1 and 2. He takes full responsibility for them. 
He personalizes them. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions. He's taking full responsibility for the ways that he has failed and has committed sin against God. And when he says, you know, I acknowledge my sin, it's not just a kind of a simple, shallow mental assent. The word here is uh, the word that is used euphemistically uh, about sexual relations between people, right? Like Adam knew Eve, and then they had a baby, right? So when he says, I acknowledge this thing, I know in that sense my sin before God. It's not just a kind of a shallow, yeah, I, I, I made a mistake. No, he, in the depth of his being, he understands that every sin is an affront to a holy God. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a mistake, right? It, it's, it's, a, it's something far deeper than that to God who is absolutely holy. And he, and he recognizes that. So he's saying, I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm not going to cover it up. I'm not going to make excuses. But I'm going to reveal myself fully to know this fully before you. Uh, and this kind of confession is absolutely necessary for health, for well-being, for salvation. Notice that there's dramatic contrast here between confession and non-confession in verses 3 and 5. The psalmist says when, we, when he remained silent, when he hid his sins, he, he was just crushed, right? When we fail to acknowledge the wrongs that we do to others, when we remain unapologetic, when we fail to put words to our wrongs, it just stays with you and it becomes a part of you and it just eats away at you in some way. He says his bones wasted away. This is the way he's uh, experiencing it or de- describing that experience. That he was groaning all day. That he felt that the heaviness, right? That this burden of weight upon his shoulders. That he had no strength. That, you know, it was, it was like all his strength had just, just leaked out as if it was just like the summer heat. The weight of sin was life-sapping and crushing. He experienced physical, emotional, and spiritual repercussions for keeping his sins unconfessed. And it was threatened to destroy him because they remained unconfessed. Um, you know the story, uh, the short story by uh, Edgar Allan Poe, right? The Telltale Heart. I mean, that's a classic illustration of this where, uh, remember the, the narrator of, the, of that story? He's committed murder. He's, he's um, and buried it in, uh, under the boards of his, the floor of his house. And throughout this whole short story, he keeps hearing the heartbeat, and he imagines it's the heartbeat of, the, of his victim, right? And throughout the story, I mean, just, he just keeps hearing, and it gets louder and louder, and finally he just, he, just, he just screams and confesses because it was, it was that unconfession that just, just tormented him until he was finally able to shriek out that he was the murderer. That, that's not a bad place to be because, you know, sometimes you can get so callous. Sometimes when, when sins remain unconfessed for a long time, it just, it just hardens you. And you don't feel bad about it anymore. And you can no longer make that confession. But having, it, it's a heavy, heavy burden. And, you know, you, especially in the, you can't even go before God to pray because it's, you know that there is this unconfessed sin, so you can't even pray for these other things because the, this thing is this, this barrier this, this wall between you and God. Um, you know, in the Catholic Church, they have a sacrament known as the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. 
in which you make confession to a priest, right? You go to a priest and you say the things that you did, and the priest will offer you then absolution or um, forgiveness as you make that confession, right? They, they formalize or ritualize this, this uh, act of confession. Now, for all of its problems, um, it takes seriously this need to confess, that we have this urgent need to confess, to right relationships. Uh, I was reminded this weekend, uh, one of the, uh, I was able to attend a conference um, on Asian American theology uh, organized by uh, David Chow and Enoch and others uh, from our church. And uh, one of the speakers talked about uh, just the power of being a part of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That they have a, a system where you have to make confession. Uh, the fifth step, you know, it's a 12-step program. And the fifth step, for example, in uh, AA is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. That's the beginning of confession. That's the first step, or that's one of the early steps, toward genuine healing. Unconfess- it, it just eats away at you. Right? And you're, you're afraid of being caught or being found out, these burdens that you're carrying with you all the time. There's an apocryphal story um, by, uh, about Sir um, Arthur uh, Conan Doyle, um, the, the writer of the Sherlock Holmes stories. And supposedly, um, he played a prank on uh, some of the most prominent men uh, in England. He sent an anonymous note to these men that wrote, that he wrote, all is found out, flee at once. Within 24 hours, all those men had left the country. <laughs> right? Because we all carry unconfessed sins. We all do. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked man flees though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Unconfessed sin makes us weak. It takes away our confidence. It just leaks away because you're worried someone's going to find out. And um, it will rob you of the joy and the power of living, the confidence, the assurance, the freedom of living abundantly. Someone wrote, guilt cannot change the past, just like worry cannot change the future. But it can make you miserable today. Guilt cannot change the past, just like worry cannot change the future, but it can make you miserable today. It's true. Unconf- it just, just, just weighs you down. But look what happens when sin gets confessed. He confessed his sins, and God forgave him. We confess, God forgives. That's it. It's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. But I, I don't want you to think that it's cheap. This is not some sort of you know, tit-for-tat compensation, some right that you do and God is then uh, obligated to give you mercy because you've somehow merited it because you've done the right thing. Um, you remember in the, in the Old Testament... For people to be forgiven, remember, they had to bring a sacrifice, an animal. Blood had to be shed as a symbol that it costs something 
it costs something to have forgiveness. Um, there's a story I heard uh, my first year in seminary, and I can't recall many of the details. I wish I could. I try to track this story down, and I, if somebody knows, let me know. Uh, but the story is, it's about a couple. Uh, it's about a woman who uh, commits adultery. She has an affair because her husband is so neglectful of her, and um, she, you know, in, in a moment of weakness, uh, commits adultery, uh, and, and she bears this burden, right? She, 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 won't, she can't confess. Uh, finally, the burden becomes so much, she finally confesses to her husband about what happened, uh, lets him know. And the husband, uh, you know, hears this confession from her, and he does not get angry, doesn't ask any questions, and he simply says, I forgive you. That's not a happy ending. She refuses his forgiveness because she says to him, I will not accept your forgiveness that costs nothing. Right? He wasn't angry. He didn't get jealous or even sad. It told her that he didn't really care about her, that he was indifferent to her sufferings, and that he himself is not suffering at all because of this breach of trust. That's not forgiveness. Genuine forgiveness means I will absorb the cost. I will absorb the pain. And I will release from you the debt that is rightfully owed to me. That's forgiveness. It doesn't deny the pain. It doesn't deny the wrong. It acknowledges it fully. But, I'm, but, but I release you from the pain and the debt that you owe me for the sake of the relationship. For the sake of the relationship. And that is what God did for us in Jesus Christ. We cannot forget that God's forgiveness cost God a great deal. The death of Jesus on the cross demonstrates the enormous cost, the enormous cost of forgiveness. But it was given freely to us for the sake of the relationship. And it is the only way given to us that makes reconciliation, restoration possible. And and now look at the way that this forgiveness is described. These three word, beautiful word pictures are given. First, the the first word of forgiveness, forgiveness, it it means to lift or to remove. Uh, Like if if someone's carrying like a a heavy load and someone kind of lifts it off of your back, that's this idea of what it is to forgive. Zechariah 5, for example, Zechariah is told to lift his eyes up, same word, to, to lift, to, to look up, and he sees these two winged uh, beings lifting wickedness and, and carrying it away. That's forgiveness, to, to be lifted away and to be taken away forever. The second picture says that sin is to be covered. It's to be covered. Now, when, when this word is used, of, when we talk about covering, it's the word that we used to talk about hiding or concealing. But when it's about God, it's always that God does not see anymore. God doesn't see it. Remember in the Ark of the Covenant, there was the mercy seat. It's that covering is the same idea. That God covers our sins and is no longer seen. 
And thirdly, iniquity is not counted. This is a, it's a bookkeeping word. It means that God is not going to count it against us, right? It's like getting a, a bill from somebody, and this is what you owe. But somehow, that person is not going to count it against you. They're going to absorb that loss themselves. And so it's not counted against you. It's paid in full. And so this weight of sin, of unconfessing that we, that we carry, that cannot be lifted, that we cannot lift ourselves, is going to be removed, is forgiven. The shame of sin that we try to hide or to cover, make excuses for, God will no longer see. And, and the price, the heavy price of sin is going to be canceled. Completely paid for on the cross. This is what happens when we confess, when we are forgiven. It is the only way given to us. God's responsibility, God's very nature is to forgive us. But we cannot have it, we cannot receive this forgiveness until we acknowledge our sins and present ourselves to him as sinners in need of grace. And then, maybe with greater difficulty, we have to trust the word that we are forgiven. We must accept God's forgiving word. We have to make the decision to trust God's word, regardless of what we might be feeling. That in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. That's what we hear every morning during our service. Sin, confession, forgiveness. And then there's this this joy or happiness or blessedness. Um, You know, I know that the season of Lent um, is a time of kind of, um, it's, a, it's a somber season, right? It's, it's a time in the wilderness. It's a time of self-reflection and lament and fasting and repentance. But I want you to know and remind you that at the heart of Lent is still joy. At the heart of the season is joy, right? Just as the days are lengthening towards spring, just as we are heading toward the resurrection, Confession is not just about being sorrowful and being contrite for your sins. It's the road that leads to forgiveness and joy. It's not just the relief of being forgiven, but the joy that accompanies that forgiveness that awaits us. That's the invitation. Let me leave you with this illustration. I know it's a little bit dated. It's from a movie Way back in 1986, I know that before some of you were born, I apologize. Um, but if you can see it, it's, it's one of the great movies. Uh, it's called The Mission. And uh, the mu- you know, I'm not a big, I don't pay much attention to music, but it has the most, some of the most incredible music um, on film, I think. Um, but again, I'm not a good judge of music, so take that for what that's worth. But, but, the, but it's, it's an incredible story. It's, it's a story uh, that takes place in the 1700s. Uh, in South America, where some Jesuits, priests, have uh, set up a, um, a camp, a mission, and they're trying to convert the natives to, to Christianity. And uh, Robert De Niro uh, plays a character, uh, Rodrigo Mendoza, uh, who is a slave trader. And so he's there not you know, to help, but to, to capture the natives and, and imprison them. And, uh, and he finds out that uh, his, I think his younger brother, um, 
um, I'm trying to remember the details. His younger brother um, either uh, steals his girlfriend or wife or something, and in a fit of rage, he kills his brother. In a fit of just jealous rage, he, he kills his brother. And so at first, you know, after that, he, he just wants to rot in jail. He doesn't, he just, you know, he's, he's just depressed and he just doesn't care. And he just wants to die. Um, but he's convinced finally uh, by the Jesuits to do penance, to do something. And so he wants to do something that is as difficult as possible because he doesn't think what he's done, murdering his brother, is forgivable. And so as penance, he has to carry all of his old armor and weapons. So, you know, his, all the heavy armor, his you know, helmet, everything, his sword, all of that is put into a, a big net and he's literally, he's lugging this weight, his past life, his murderous life as a slave trader and as a murderer of his, he, he's carrying this thing around. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just an unbearable burden. It, it's heavy. You know, and he, the rope is around his neck, right? It's weighing him down. It's just a crushing, crushing, crushing weight. And uh, it nearly kills him. And eventually, he joins one of the Jesuits, and they, they climb this beautiful, tall waterfall to visit a tribe that is at the top of this waterfall, some of whose members he had previously killed and had taken into slavery. So he's going to go visit this tribe. And uh, he gets up there, and when he reaches the top, the tribe, they recognize who he is. And so one of the men, they, they come and they put a knife to his throat, like, you know, and he has every right to kill him. He has every right to kill him. But instead of killing him, he cuts the rope. He releases this burden he's been carrying. And he pushes it into the river and down the waterfall. And it's gone forever. Um, and then you see uh, Mendoza just, just kneeling. And, and like, at first he doesn't, like, what, what just happened? But, the, but, but as he comes to realize what's happened, you just see him. Not, not just relief, but tears of joy. Just, just, just maybe joy that he has never experienced before. And it was only possible because he confessed and those who had the power to forgive him, they did. They released him from the debt that was owed. And um, I think that's the promise that we have. Micah seven nineteen says, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Lifted, removed, buried, forgotten, canceled. That's what the psalmist experienced. And it's the same invitation for us. The joy of that experience can then lead us to testify and teach others. You know, this psalm has been traditionally understood to be written by David uh, after his experiences with Bathsheba and Uriah. David experienced, according to uh, the psalm, you know, even after adultery and murder, I mean, that's about as bad as it gets, he somehow was even able to experience 
the mercy of God and even joy. Completely undeserved. Completely undeserved. And it doesn't mean some of those repercussions of those sins did not remain. But as far as his relationship with God, there was forgiveness. Not because he was able to make confession. Not because, you know, he he made good enough confession. But because God is the one who is able to forgive. And you and I have that same invitation. We can have that same experience. Every day. You know, and that's why um, we've restored the time of confession to our service in in the beginning of the service. So I want to invite you to to come early, to to pray, and to hear at least once a week, at least Sunday morning, you are forgiven. Believe the good news. Believe the good news that in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice and shout for joy because you've been made righteous, you've been declared upright by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that um, today and every day, uh, we, we fail to live to our own standards, let alone your standards. Uh, we fail to love deeply, fully, those whom we love most, even, And so, God, we are in need of constant confession and repentance and healing and restoration and reconciliation. So, God, we come before you as a broken people, as a people who need your help. And we want to receive your forgiveness. And in the power and in the joy of that forgiveness, God, would you lead us? Would you lead us then to make right what we have wronged? Thank you, God, that you have made a way for us, that you paid the enormous price for us. Help us to respond with thankful, joyful hearts and to let others know this good news that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.